So I've been reading this book titled A Meal with Jesus. And I'd like to share a piece of it with you today. In his book, A Meal with Jesus, Tim Chester shares the following stories about how various church communities in England are sharing Jesus through shared meals. To celebrate the Kadesh New Year, we provide kebabs and live music. Over 100 Kurds from across the city converged on the party. Our main worry was whether the floor would hold. Standing in the basement, we could see that the man dancing in sink above was causing the floor to flex by at least an inch. The floor held, and in the evening ended with my friend Samuel telling everyone, we put this party on to express God's love for your people. Every month, one of our missional communities hosts a curry night for the Pakistani men. A dozen or so come to enjoy homemade curry in conversation. That's it, uh, that it accepts those relationships are growing and, and gospel opportunities are, are increasing. More recently, they started a similar venue for Pakistani women. In a community hall underneath a soccer stadium, more than 100 people of all nationalities gathered. Our church had paid a Pakistani friend to make Barani curry, and church members provided dessert. At a couple of points in the meal, we told stories of meals. The story of the woman who washed the feet of Jesus in Luke 7. And the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15. And then Chester concludes with this. There are all forms of mission Jesus would recognize. These are all forms of mission Jesus would recognize. They are the kind of events he might have attended. But there are also ways of doing mission that you could do. When you combine a passion for Jesus with shared meals, you create potent gospel opportunity. I want to preach from this angle, from meal to mission, from meal to mission. I have a word that puts the entire goal of the church, the entirety of our lives in order. It is this word, church, mission. Our mission reminds us of what we should be doing. Let me say that again. Our mission reminds us of what we should be doing. One of the hardest things to do as a believer is to be on mission. That is, to be doing what you should be doing. But what should we be doing? Last week I explained one of the reasons why it's so hard for us to do, to, to do what we're supposed to do is because we don't know oftentimes who we are. Because our being always precedes our doing. And we do from a sense of identity. But last week we learned or we were reminded who we are. That is the church. Let's see if you were listening. If you were not, then you don't have to participate in this pop quiz, but I want you to be ready next week. Here's the quiz. What is the church? Is it A, branding, B, Tupac? For those of you who don't know what that is, that's an inside joke from last week. 
C, brick and mortar, or D, the citizens of God's kingdom and the children of God's family? If you said B, something wrong with you. If you said D, you are correct. The citizens of God's kingdom and the children of God's family. And did you know that God has given the citizens of his kingdom and the children of his family a mission? Did you know, church, that God has given us, his children, his citizens, a mission? What is the mission of God, family? What is God's mission for his citizens in his family? What is the mission statement of the church? And what should be the mission statement for Flourish Church? We could head to the Great Commission to see part of the mission of the church, but I'm not going to go there this morning. I actually want to go somewhere else. I want to go to the book of Acts. Acts actually begins with a powerful commission by Jesus in Acts 1.8. Jesus says this, but you will receive power when you have breakfast, no, that's not what it says, but you will get energy. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all of Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Oh, you didn't shout. Let me run it again. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, there's an element here of prediction and command in Jesus' words. Like he's predicting the future that you all are going to be put in position where you'll have to speak up for what you've seen. But there is also a dimension to his words that are instructive for us, a command, if you will. The words themselves are the mission. You go and be my witnesses. You go and be my witnesses. This is what Jesus is calling us to do. You, I have chosen. You, 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 the citizens of my kingdom the children of my family, to be the ones who carry the mission forward, endure, endowed with, with power from on high. Thank God that we don't go into the mission field powerless, but we go into the mission field with power. And a lot of times we say, we say, where's the power, pastor? Oftentimes we don't experience the power because we're waiting for chill bumps during, during, during worship time in church. But sometimes you're going to find out that you're going to find power when you get out of your comfort zone and you go do what God called you to do and power shows up out of nowhere. No, I'm not telling you what, you, what I heard. I'm telling you what I know. If this is your task, listen up now, church, because this is your task. To spread the word of God around the world. Make disciples in everyday life. So that's been the mission of the church since the beginning. To spread the gospel as witnesses. Now a witness, just to remind us all, is someone who has seen something or experienced something. A witness is someone who has seen something or experienced something. You can't take part in this mission if you yourselves haven't been changed by God. But if you've been changed by God, you cannot 
be a part. You cannot not be a part of the mission. To be changed by God is to be placed on trial in the world as witnesses sharing good news. If you've seen God showed up in your life, tell that story. Be a witness. Carry out the mission. And this is such a big deal to us. But doing this, if we can be honest, I can slow down and maybe enter into your living room. If I can slow down and enter into the quiet spaces of your heart. If I can enter into the deep thoughts in your mind. And if we can be honest with one another, sometimes witnessing is scary. Uh, If you can't say amen, say ouch. Well, pastor, if I'm going to witness that, that means I got to talk to folks. I know some of y'all with me right now because you don't like talking to people. You barely like people. You barely like yourself. (laughs) Pastor, I don't know if I'm the one you want to to go witnessing for Jesus because I don't feel qualified to be telling people about God. I want you to listen up this morning. Today, I want to show you how simple being on mission can actually be, a way that doesn't require special training or course in apologetics or grasp on the latest mythological jargon. And I want us to learn this simple way through the story of a jacked up, messed up scumbag of a man named Matthew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Matthew's story relates to all of us in the room, if we can be honest. Matthew's story teaches us all we need to witness is a testimony and a table. All we need to witness is a testimony and a table, coupled with the Holy Spirit. Let's get to know this guy, Matthew. Did you know that the first book of the New Testament was written by someone who had been such a notorious and despised sinner that the decent and respectable people of his day would have nothing whatsoever to do with him. The apostle Matthew, you see, was a tax collector at the core. In other words, he was a traitor of his own people. He was a sellout to an occupying Gentile government. And he was doubly despised by his fellow Jews because he not only collected taxes from his own people for the Roman occupiers, but also because his collection of that tax was characterized by greed and abuse. One writer says, tax collectors, watch this now, y'all. You don't listen up to this one. Uh, 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 One writer says this, and this is the guy who writes the first book of the New Testament. Watch this. Tax collectors were considered by the ancient Jewish people to be both legal robbers and covenant breakers. They were the racketeers of their day. They were classified among the very worst of sinners, considered to be in the same category as harlots, gamblers, and thieves. According to the rabbinical teaching, a tax collector was to be excluded from any religious fellowship. Any money that they may come come from him was to be considered defiled. He was not to be permitted to serve as a witness in a court of law. He was to be considered a moral leper and untouchable. 
from strictly human standpoint, there was no hope for a tax collector ever to find the favor of God. I need to run that one more time. From a human perspective, it could not even be perceived that a tax collector would ever find the grace in the favor of God. He was not only a sinner, but he was a, he was a particularly accursed sinner. In fact, he was not even worthy to be considered a normal sinner, but stood in a category all on his own, which is why when you read your Bible, it says this when it talks about tax collectors. It says tax collectors and sinners. That's how bad tax collectors were. They put them in a category all by themselves. I need you guys to understand how jacked up and how messed up Matthew was. Matthew was that guy. But Jesus seems to reach him and his friends. But how? Was it through learning great apologetics or getting him to his favorite church on Sunday? Nope. Let's find out. Matthew's testimony, how he ran into this Jesus. Remember our mission as a church. And church is the citizens of God's kingdom the children of God's family. And those children and those citizens are to go and be witnesses. And a witness to who? We find out quickly in the story of Matthew. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. And so he arose and followed him. Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. Now I want you to get the full impact of what is happening when we get to this place in this story. We have to get some context if we're going to really feel the thrust of what's happening in this text. Now in the story, as Matthew has been telling it to us, Jesus has been teaching people in, in, in this house in the city of Capernaum by the Sea of Galilee. And if you know your Bibles well enough, you would know this story. A paralyzed man had been lowered down to him from the roof. His friends actually took this paralyzed man and they dug a hole in the roof and brought him to Jesus. People knew that Jesus was able to heal and set free. And so they brought themselves or they brought others to Jesus. And Jesus shocks everyone, y'all. When old boy comes through the roof. Jesus shocks everybody, and this is how he shocks them. And this is what should knock the socks off of your feet is this right here. When the paralyzed man comes down, Jesus does something that no one has ever done. No one has ever done. He forgives the paralyzed man. Okay, you didn't catch it. Not only did he forgive him, but he proved that he was able to forgive. See, we say things like, you got to forgive yourself when you mess up. When in actuality, none of us have power to forgive anything. We actually need to accept the forgiveness of God, and that's the true freedom, not forgiving yourself, because you don't have the power to do that. And that's a whole nother sermon there. But Jesus spoke as if he had authority to forgive sins that had been committed against God. And then Jesus proved that he truly had such authority by healing the man and commanding him to get up and stand and walk. And Jesus proves that he has authority to forgive you. Jesus had just proven something very important. 
he had proven that he had the authority to forgive sins of those who went to great lengths to come to him. And this is important because Jesus is forgiving sins of those who go great lengths to get to him. Okay? And so up to this point in the book of Matthew, folks who are coming to Jesus are getting forgiven, are getting healed, are getting renewed, and finding restoration. But now Matthew changes the game. He flips the strip. He flips the script because it's already enough for us to be astonished that God would allow sinners into his presence. But now what he's getting ready to do with Matthew ought to blow your mind. No, it ought to blow your mind. Because that's one thing for those who got enough courage to come to God. But what about those who are too ashamed to come to him? What about those who feel like if they come to church, the building will burn down? What about those who feel what they did last night exclude them from coming into the fellowship? Keep looking at me. The question becomes, how will they reach him? And I believe that this was Matthew's situation. I believe that Matthew heard much about Jesus. He had to have heard much because he was a tax collector in the city of Capernaum. In his line of business, he heard a lot about what's going on in the region. Surely, and Matthew heard about Jesus. He heard of the miracles. He heard of the teachings. But maybe thought in his heart, there's no way. There's no way such a great God would ever accept me. You ever felt that way before you ever stepped into a church? Knowing the things that you've done, knowing the secrets that you have, knowing the way that church folks treat people? Have you ever thought that no way in the world could I ever get in the presence of an almighty God? But Matthew knew deep down in his heart, he had chosen a life of sin. I need to talk to some folks in the room because this is when you know yourself. <laughs> See, some of y'all don't know yourselves, which is why you're not shocked by grace. Because you thought when Jesus found you that you, was, you were pretty deep. I mean, I ain't do too much. You know what I'm saying? I had good grades. You know what I'm saying? I ain't killed nobody. I smoked a little weed here and there. And sometimes I still do, if I'm honest. But that's neither here nor there. But in the end, you got some folks that know themselves and say, I know I'm messed up and I'm jacked up and there's no way in the world God could ever come to me. I strongly suspect that Matthew had come to believe that there was no hope for heaven in his future. The Messiah ministry may have been going on right there in his own hometown, but he himself worked in a tax collector group. And there's no way for the two things to find a point of contact. Jesus may have been going around healing many people, but Matthew was sure that Jesus wouldn't even give someone like him the time or the day. Here then is the problem. If Matthew will not go to God, who will witness to him about God? If Matthew will not go to God, how will he ever meet God? But here's the good news of Matthew's story, and here's the good news that got me out of bed this morning. 
Because Matthew, what you're going to find out here in a moment, bro, you are God's mission. You are the reason Jesus came. You are the reason that he hung, dead, died, and bled for you. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have. I can't help but to think that Matthew wrote the next words. And I need you to enter into the text with me now because we often read the Bible, but we don't slow down enough to feel the Bible. I want you to feel, I want you to feel the stroke of his pen. I want you to feel the emotions as he writes this next line. I want you to consider yourself the outcast, the unwanted, the one who thinks that God will never find you. And think about what Matthew is feeling in the stroke of these next words. He says, as Jesus, the tears begin to well up in his eyes. As Jesus passed by, you can feel the emotion swelling up in his heart. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. I can imagine him having to sit his pen down and stop writing the gospel because, because this moment right here was huge for him because Jesus is now making his way to the Matthew who cannot make him his way to Jesus. Let's all pause and let's be in awe. Because the righteous and the unrighteous cross paths at this moment. And what Jesus says next literally changes the game. He breaks all of the rules. What Jesus is getting ready to say to Matthew would have been jaw-dropping in his day. And he said to him, follow me. So he rose and he followed him. Okay. Jesus looks at Matthew, finds him where he is, and he says, you? Yeah, you. Me? Yeah, you. You. Follow me. Now, this is huge because I told you earlier that the Jewish people didn't rock with Matthew. Can you imagine that Jesus is calling the outcast, and by calling the outcast, is making himself an outcast? That Jesus, by calling the outcast, is making himself an outcast for you. This is what he does to Matthew. Follow me. God just asked a sinner to follow him. In the earlier parts of the text, they came to God, and that's crazy enough that sinners can come to God, but God is coming to sinners? What in the world is going on? That's ludicrous. But it gets crazy as the story progresses. Before we move on, I need to pause because, because I, want, I want to allow, I, I, I want you all to know that, 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 that there are a lot of tax collectors out in the world. There's a lot of people that feel that they will never cross paths with God. People that have ridden themselves off to be doomed to eternal destruction. I mean, people really waiting to die and living their life believing that there's no hope for them. But did you know that Jesus knows the name of everyone who think that they have no hope? And I need you to get this. Because the next time you drive past the strip club, or you drive past a college, or you drive past your neighbor, and you drive past notorious places of sin, I want you to remember this. Jesus knows the name of everyone inside of there. 
He knows who owns the place. He knows who works there. He knows what they're going home to deal with. And he sees them every day. And he knows how they ended up in such a place. And this is what gets me so angry about the church, is that we are so in love with our Sunday mornings and that we forget that God has called us to a world that is hurting that will never come to your Sunday morning. You know, and Jesus looks at those people that you pass by, and he has their sins on his mind. And how he went to the cross for them to have an opportunity to come to God. Now imagine this with me, church. Just imagine, I know I'm a little crazy. I'm the crazy pastor that serves breakfast on a Sunday morning. Now imagine if God's citizens and God's children didn't just wait for sinners to come to church, but went where the sinners were. Uh, ain't that a thought? Yeah. Let's see. We build a building, okay, to worship God, and we say we build a building for them, but sometimes we don't want to go to them. Help us, God. You see those people that you pass by the liquor store? God loves them. Those at the train station, no place to go? God loves them. And this is Matthew's testimony. God came to me, a sinner, and loved me and called me to follow him. And now that Matthew got a testimony, watch what he does with his testimony. And this is what I want you to get because he takes his testimony and now he says, I'm going to take it to this table. Watch Matthew. Now watch how easy being on mission can be. Jesus shows jaw-dropping love to Matthew just by going to him, literally people are longing to know that God sees them. And watch what happens. And Jesus passed him there. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the text booth just chilling. That's my version. And he says to him, hey, yo, hey, bro, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now watch this. Now it happened. As Jesus sat at the table in the house, that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. Okay, let's go into Matthew's house. When Mark tells this story, he lets us know that this was Matthew's own house that Jesus went to, that this was Matthew's table. It must have been a very large house. I mean, like I say, he was a tax collector. Matthew, Matthew was balling, y'all. Matthew had that bread, for real. So it must have been a large house, considered that many tax collectors and sinners came and joined Jesus and the disciples in it. And Luke tells us even more, letting us know that Matthew was putting on a great feast in Jesus' honor. A sinner is now putting on a party for the righteous. Uh, y'all not with me this morning. I'm trying to preach this thing. I wish I didn't make y'all pastors preach as hard as I needed to. What I think happened is Matthew was so moved by the fact that God loved him. I said him. Uh, I said him. Lying Matthew. Thieving Matthew. Sinning Matthew. Scumbug, scum, scumbag Matthew. That Matthew picked up the mission of Jesus. He went to get more sinners and brought them to Jesus. 
Uh, y'all still not with me, man. I wish I had a church this morning, Bobby. He wanted to witness about Jesus so that they might witness the grace of Jesus and go witness to more about Jesus after witnessing Jesus' love for themselves. I better run that line one more again. He wanted to witness about Jesus so that they might witness the grace of Jesus and go witness to more about Jesus after witnessing Jesus' love for themselves. Okay, Paul. That's the mission right there. That's, that's the mission. Real simple. The mission is simply pointing to Jesus. That's so easy. It's so easy. Yeah, 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 it's so easy. No, 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 watch it. Because I'm going to keep pressing. But, but, but look, Matthew didn't say, man, I need to get myself together before I go tell anybody. Because guess what? Matthew realized that I ain't the Savior. All I got to do is get them to him. Oh, this is such good news. Oh, we got a good gospel here. Okay. Now notice that Matthew did not bring people to the church building. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, I'm in tricky territory now. He didn't say, wait, th- wait until Sunday so I can bring you before my pastor so that he can preach to you and witness to you. That's not what he did. He didn't say, let me take an apologetic class and then I'll get back with you. That's not what he did. He didn't say, we got dope church services. You should come to church. We serve breakfast on Sunday. <laughs> now, if you tell somebody that next week and they show up here, hey, you better pick up some donuts for them on the way here. That ain't going to be now unless we freeze what's back there. Maybe get the meat and make a fresh batch of grits or something. We'll probably work it out. We'll see. But watch, this, but watch this, and this is what I love about Matthew's story, is he doesn't point them to the church. He doesn't point them to the building. He doesn't point them to apologetics class. Matthew uses his kitchen table to share his testimony. Yeah. Kind of like the table that you're sitting at right now. But why? He has been so moved. By the grace of God in his life. He has been so moved. Jesus didn't heal this man. He didn't do, he didn't give him sight. He didn't give him ears to hear physically. He is rocked by the grace of God in his life. What I want to ask you this morning is have you been so rocked by the grace of God in your own life so much that you overflow with a desire to make him known? Okay, okay, okay. Brad, we got we to gotta really get into the text now. Because I know, I know church folks. And I know we like to bring our church lens to the text. And we like to see Jesus the way we want to see Jesus, and we like to see the text the way that we like to see the text. But I, I want to mess that all up for you. I want to mess it up. I'm just be honest. I'm going to mess it up for you, okay? Because this scene is not clean. Now, I want you to imagine who and what is at this dinner party. Tax collectors and sinners are there. 
can you imagine what's at this party? This is not PG-13. This is rated R. Who came? Who was sitting next to who? There's Jesus would be at the table in the position of honor. And all around him would be the disciples eating and drinking. And then to the left might have been people we passed by at the church at the liquor store down the street. And then maybe on the right may have been people that sleep at the bus stop down the street. And then maybe in the living room are the strippers that, that gather at the club in Hover. And in the kitchen is a single mama with four baby daddies. And upstairs in a room is a bunch of weed heads smoking weed. Just keep looking at me. This scene is getting real serious. We're blowing up your church world right now. I'm telling you, church folks got to stop flinching when they see sin as if y'all ain't never seen before. Y'all flinching for I mean, you did have a B.C. before Christ. We get so far down the road, we act like we don't know nothing. Well, what's that? You know what it is. <laughs> did you know that Jesus was often criticized because of the kind of people he was found eating with? And, and I need y'all to slow down here because, because, because you think that you're not the ones that will stiff arm those who you feel shouldn't be part of the kingdom. But I'm telling you that if you don't examine yourself, religion will creep down in your heart and you will find yourself not loving folks that God loves. I'm telling you that it can happen. And I know because I've seen people come in this church and I've seen people stiff on them. The same people who say, we should go talk to the homeless, and we should help the poor, and we should help those who are oppressed. And when you get around them, then you act like you don't want to be around them. You better be careful and examine your heart. Don't sit there self-righteous. What you ought to be saying right now, God, examine me right now. That's what I'm saying to myself. And his opponents, they call Jesus a glutton. And a wine bibber. Jesus, Jesus did make some good wine, though. He did. He did. I would invite him to my party. Hey, he's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Those who watched him would, would complain. He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. But it is fascinating to see how the most sinful of people seem to be the ones who are most comfortable in his presence and most eager to be with him. Isn't that strange? Isn't that strange? I think they knew Jesus didn't condone everything they did, but they knew he loved them. And we will see later in Matthew's life that God changes him. So to be clear, I'm not saying, to be clear, I'm not saying, to be clear, I'm saying this so I don't get an email, to be clear, I'm not saying that Jesus didn't change lives. I'm not saying that Jesus condoned everything that they were doing in the house. That's not what I'm saying. Presence does not mean, or vicinity does not mean that I agree with you, but it does mean that I understand that God loves you, and I don't mind coming near you. 
So to be clear, I'm not saying that Jesus was cool with sin. But in this case, he shared a meal with sinners. And most of us are funny about our kitchen table. Now, some of y'all, I'm grateful that you're funny about your kitchen. All right? Because I ain't eating at everybody's house. I ain't eating at everybody's house. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Somebody. Don't be bringing me spaghetti. I ain't seen your house. Will told me one time, I'm sitting there eating spaghetti. What you doing, man? I said, I'm eating spaghetti. He said, you don't eat everybody's spaghetti? No one's in there? We funny about our kitchen table. We don't share a table with just anyone. In Jesus' day, sharing a table with someone was a big deal. It meant that they were welcome into the fellowship. And we love to share tables with people that are like us. But you know, Jesus once said this in Luke, and Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers. Okay, this is challenging now. Because we're going to read this, we're going to forget about it, and we're going to keep inviting people that we like <laughs> and claim that we're Christian. Okay, so I need you to hear what Jesus is saying. I need you to be challenged by it, and then I need you to pray about it, and then I need you to do something about it. Okay, so I'm going to read it, and I want, you to, I want it to land on you because I know that you'll go back to what you normally do. So here it is. When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, or your relatives, or your rich neighbor. Now, some of y'all is like, I'm glad he said don't invite my, my, my brothers and my family because I don't like them anyway. But that's not really what he's saying. He's making a point. He's not saying don't invite them. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Now, the contrast is with the attitude of the Pharisees. They were the religious leaders of the day. They were having a, a fit about seeing Jesus and the disciples having dinners with such riffraff. And Matthew tells us when the Pharisees saw it, it's always the religious folk who act like they control God and tell God where to go and what to do. So it's no surprise. Here they come. I'm telling you, church folk, happens all the time. Here it is. Pharisees see him. They peep him out. They say, huh, look at him. We got him now. Look at him. He over at those sinners' house. And watch what they say. They say, what is your teacher doing eating with sinners and tax collectors? And then Jesus gives the mission statement, and here it comes again. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard that, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, Jesus so cold, man. He's so smooth. Oh, he's so smooth. They tried to come at him. He's like, hey, yo, listen up to this wisdom. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. Oh, he's talking mad trash to these cats. He's supposed to be a teacher of the day. He's like, y'all dumb, Joe. Uh, I need y'all to figure out what this means. Come on, Jesus. And then he says this. See, I don't read the Bible like I read it. He says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. 
How the doctor going to heal if he never shows up to the sick people? How are we going to be the light of the world if we never go into darkness? How are we going to be the salt of the earth if we never go around the world? Did you know God is still wanting to heal the sick? And look how simple it was, what Matthew did. He simply went, look, Jesus simply went where they fellowship and showed his love. He shared a meal with them in the final analysis, and I'm done. I've kept you too long already. Friends, what essentially happens with Matthew is that the Holy Spirit got a hold of him. I need you to get this far because I don't want you to think that tables and testimonies are the power. It's really the Holy Spirit coming behind the table and the testimonies. Do you know what happens with Matthew years after this meal? You know what happened to Matthew years after this party? Remember that mission statement Jesus gave them in Acts? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Well, Matthew went to be a witness. Tradition tells us Matthew was killed in Ethiopia for preaching the good news that God in Christ had paid the penalty for our sins and rose from the dead. He went where religion told him not to go. Okay, y'all don't see him reflecting his Savior yet. He Jews were not supposed to go to Gentiles. Matthew, years later, is in Ethiopia. He has done what Jesus has done for him. Jesus came where society told him not to go. And what I'm telling you, church, is that God has called us to go into the world and to go into places that the world tells you not to go, to love those whom the world tells you not to love, to be friends with those whom the world has told you not to be friends. And it's real simple. You go, you share your testimony, you open your table, send them co-workers you've been wondering, how am I reach them? Kitchen table, homie. Testimony time. Now, I ain't saying be all weird and stuff, have candles when they show up, like, yeah, what's up? I'm a Christian. You know what I'm saying? It's not the Bible on the table. Don't do no weird stuff like that. Just let it flow now. I got to tell y'all this because I know how church folks is. Y'all, they, they get in the house. You say, let's grab hands. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You ain't got to do all that. Be chill, man. Be easy. Enjoy your meal. If the moment is right, if God allows it, don't force it. Because that moment just may be that you just share a meal and that's all that God would allow you to do. I wish I could give y'all a formula or whatever, but I'm just telling you that God shows up in those moments and I can't explain it. But when you open your heart and you open your table and you open your testimony and you say, God, this is yours. Do what you want to do. God will not not show up. He will. We'll open our table and open our testimony. You know, the last thing about Matthew's party that if you caught it, you know, you said, but Dexter, Matthew had. Matthew had Jesus there. And I said, well, you know, you do got a point there. He did, he did have Jesus in, in the flesh there. You got, you got a point there. But the whole point of the party was to, was to honor Jesus. 
And God has given us something in there as well that we should utilize to put him in the center. It's a symbol, per se, for the church to be reminded what's at the center of our community, what's at the center of our fellowship, is this life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Because it is this meal that has set us free. It is this meal that has given us freedom. It is this meal that all of our testimonies are tied to. And it is the Holy Communion that we receive. It is the bread and the wine that has reminded us of the ultimate meal that has given us ultimate freedom.